that. What is up, everybody, and welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And yes, you know what this means. The fact that this show is out means that we have made it through a whole week, making it super consistent. What consistency from the Logan Blackman Show? And before we get into the main part of the Logan Blackman Show, and before we get into the part that's before the start of the Logan Blackman Show, let's just go out and make sure we cover all our bases here and go, you should follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Go like the Facebook page. Go follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter, Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram is Blackman Logan and the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook page, just the Logan Blackman Show. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow or subscribe, whatever, and rate the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And you know how in the pet, well, you might not know. If I haven't told you about this before, now I am. I have two boxes. I guess my family has two boxes. I have one personally of Josh's Jacks. For those of you who are unaware what Josh's Jacks are, they're one of the best cereals ever made. But Logan, this is me talking to Logan, who is also me. Logan, how do you know it's the best cereal ever made when you haven't even tried it yet? Well, Logan, here's what I'm going to say about that. Uh, go screw yourself, because we're only having it if and when the Bills win the Super Bowl. So that could be 10 years from now? That could be 5 years from now? That could be this year. Who the hell knows? All I know is, the only time that box over there to my right, which is right next to my nightstand, I sleep, I give it a good kiss every single night. And I'm going to have one of those with a nice... No, you would you think milk. No, you cannot drink Josh's Jacks with milk. <laughs> Come on, we're not casuals over here. It's like eating wings with ranch. We're not casuals over here. You drink it, you eat it with Labatt Blue or Labatt Blue Light or Labatt Blue Seltzer. Anything revolving Labatt. And now, ultimately, you would like to do the Labatt Blue QB1 Seltzer, which just came out in Buffalo not too long ago in honor of the guy that should have won MVP in 2021, Josh Allen. And Logan, I hear you ask, why are you randomly bringing up Josh's Jacks? Well, audience member and Logan, we ordered another box. They came out with yet another box of Josh's Jacks. I'm holding these things forever. I want these to be my version of Flutie Flakes, which is what they pretty much are. You had Kelly Crunch, and you had Flutie Flakes. Now you got Josh's Jacks. This one's red, though. I don't know if the flavors are any different. I mean, the original one's red and blue. I mean, I think the picture I saw on the front of it was red and blue. Josh was just wearing a red uniform, and the box was red, but I think it's pretty much the same. But that's, you know, some random life thing that's happening for me pretty soon. And also what's happening to me pretty soon, I will be broadcasting my first ever play-by-play ever is happening this Friday night, or Friday night, tonight, for all of you listening right now. I am going to be calling, I'm being the color analyst, for the Johnston versus Cedar Falls football game. Yes, it's the season opener for high school football, which is freaking crazy that football is already here. And it's not just high school football, we got some college football going on this weekend. None of the games that we really care about in Iowa, but we have some games going on this weekend. And it all starts off with some high school football. That is beautiful stuff, and I just spit all over myself. So if you would like to listen to the broadcast and hear me either do very well or very bad, go and listen to the broadcast. Go follow it on 1650thefan.com. I mean, if you get it here, fair play. I severely doubt it since it is a Cedar Valley and Cedar Falls based radio show, a radio station. I don't know if it has the strength to get all the way to the. Jeez, I just had ice cream. And I apologize. I'm a little burpy right now. 
I, I severely apologize. <laughs> and it'll just be fun. So I really, I would love it if you all listen to it. For whoever's listening to the show, I, I would ask that all you do is listen to it. Because it'll be very fun regardless of if it is good or bad. So with that all out of the way, those are just random fun packs about Logan right now. That really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. What does matter, eh, well, kind of. It matters, I'm talking about, to me personally, and to the world, me broadcasting a high school football game and me ordering another box of Josh's Jacks and a sticker. It came with a sticker. So I think the ver- the price was very good. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the price is because I don't want to get made fun of if I did overpay, which I think I did. But that does not matter. It was not $100. Let's just go off that. <laughs> it's less than $100. So you can, somewhere in the range of $1 to... I don't know, what's our, $100. <laughs> but something that will affect me and a lot more people out there is this news that came out today, Thursday. I mean, it's been circulating the past few days, but I didn't think there was actually any meat on the bones of this whole story. And that is Cristiano Ronaldo. And for those of you who know me, you should have known this was going to be the very first thing I talked about today. If you know me, you knew I was going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo. And, uh, Logan, oh, you you hate Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't. I really like Cristiano Ronaldo. I just get tired of people saying he's the GOAT. It's the same problem I had with Sam Darnold. I don't hate Sam Darnold. I hate his people that say stupid things like the Jets were going to be good last year and Sam Darnold's better than Josh Allen. Thankfully, those are all pretty much dead, but the Cristiano Ronaldo thing being the GOAT is still alive and well. But one thing he could do to even more, in my eyes, it's already been over. I've made my opinions very clear about who's the GOAT between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. I've been abundantly clear on that numerous times throughout the history of the Logan Blackman show. But now, there's something that could go on that could change even the minds of the most diehard Cristiano Ronaldo fans. Because a lot of those Cristiano Ronaldo fans are based and are fans of Manchester United. And if you don't know what's going on with Cristiano Ronaldo, there's a report that his agent, George Mendez, one of the biggest super agents in the world of soccer, actually not just the world of soccer, the world of everything, one of the biggest sports agents in the world, is trying to get a deal over with Cristiano Ronaldo in Manchester City. For those of you who don't know why this is a big deal, Manchester United and Manchester City are, they're in the same city, first off. Man City got good, like, in the past 10 or so years. They have no real big history prior to 2008, I think, is when they got taken over. Like, they were nobody club for a long time. They were just spending, when they first got bought, they were just spending money just to spend it. They weren't actually trying to build a good team. Now they have the richest owners in the world of soccer, in the world of sports, because there's only, I think Robert Kraft is the only owner that was on the richest owners of soccer teams that was on there. Now, I don't know... He owns the New England Revolution, for those of you who aren't aware. I don't know where all the other owners, like the NFL, rank, but Sheikh Mansour, who owns Manchester City, is worth like $30 billion or something like that. I don't know the net worth of all the people in America. So I apologize. <laughs> uh, Stan Kroenke was on this top 10 list as well. I just saw this right before I started. Top 10 richest owners in the world of soccer. And then once they started figuring it out, they kept investing money into the team and just bought Premier League titles. The only thing they haven't been able to buy is the Champions League. How do you win a Champions League? You get a world-class manager who we have criticized numerous times on the show before. 
about not doing, being able to do anything unless you spend a shitload of money and have the best players in the world. The last time he won the Champions League was with Lionel Messi. He hasn't been at Barcelona for a very long time. Without Lionel Messi, Pep Guardiola hasn't done anything in the continent of Europe. He's won Premier League, he's won FA Cups, Community Shields, he's won all that. He's won the German Cup, he's won the Bundesliga, he's won all of this stuff. He hasn't won the Champions League. And they were heavy favorites in the final against Chelsea. This is a team that just won the Premier League. And they lost to freaking Chelsea because he got too smart and decided, you know what? We're not going to play Fernandinho or Rodri. We're going to start Raheem Sterling, who has been in and out of the starting lineup numerous times throughout the season. And now we're going to start him in the Champions League final. And there's a rumor also going around that Raheem Sterling could be on his way out if Cristiano Ronaldo makes his way over to the blue side of Manchester. And for somebody who grew up watching Manchester United, it was the team, the only team that was on, Cristiano Ronaldo was one of the big reasons myself and a lot of people in the United States became Cristiano or Manchester United fans. And there's a small percentage of people out there, I mean, not, I mean they're decent sized, but that think Cristiano Ronaldo is a GOAT. Or the GOAT. A lot of that percentage are Manchester United fans. A lot of that are Manchester United fans. You've got this loyalty thing of like, Cristiano Ronaldo played for my team, that means I think he's the GOAT, and I can't see past that because i got to show loyalty to my player. Now I've moved past that. I try not to have blinders on my eyes when I go, okay, just because he played for my favorite team doesn't mean I, cannot, I have to have a positive opinion about him when it regards to comparing him to other players. Lionel Messi is far and above the greatest player of all time. It's getting silly, but, but, this all is done. The Cristiano Ronaldo's GOAT status could be out the window in one, in a couple months. It all started, I mean, it was over before the Copa America started, but then the Messi in Argentina won the Copa America. So then that, it was done then. And now he's in line to join Manchester City. This is a quote. From Cristiano Ronaldo in 2015. And I'm going to make sure I get this exactly right. (laughs) To play for City and not United? I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my heart's in Manchester United. That's why. I can say say it would be very... Now I'm going to count all these varies. And you do as well. Very, 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 very. That's 14 varies. Difficult to play at Manchester City. Very difficult because of Manchester United. You think the money is now going to change my mind at 30 years old? I don't think so. I think it's not, I don't, I think this is not going to be a problem. If you speak about the money, then I'll go to Qatar. I'd probably have more money there than at Manchester City. It's not about the money. It's about the passion. And then a couple weeks, a couple days ago, Cristiano Ronaldo posted a like 10 paragraph thing on Instagram talking about how he's not leaving. He's not doing this. And then the next day, it's like, oh, George Mendes is pushing through a $30 million move or pound move, however much the deal is, to get him to Manchester City. Oh, no. So Cristiano Ronaldo, one of Manchester United's greatest ever players, who won a Ballon d'Or, his first Ballon d'Or, with Manchester United, who won a Champions League with Manchester United, who won everything with Manchester United, when they found him playing for Sporting Lisbon up in Portugal, 
And he torched John O'Shea in a friendly, and they bought him pretty much on the spot. Who loves and respects Sir Alex Ferguson? Who loves and supposedly respects the club? It's going to go and play, possibly. Now, this is all rumors, but it sounds like it's really happening. Going to play for Manchester City. This is like, just to be a... I mean, it's to me, but Josh Allen has recently said he wants to play the Bills forever. This is like him saying that and then going to play for the New England Patriots or the Dolphins or the Jets, one of your biggest rivals, and you're going to go play for them. That's, that doesn't flow well here. Liverpool and Manchester City are Manchester United's two greatest rivals, and Manchester City, up until 2008, weren't on a level playing field. It was kind of like Iowa and Iowa State for a little bit where Iowa was so far above Iowa State in pretty much everything in regards to football that it wasn't really a rivalry. It was really a one-way rivalry. Manchester United, if they lost to Man City, it was like, how the hell did you lose to Man City? And if they beat them, it was like, oh, well, you were supposed to beat them. You're Manchester United, they're Man City. Same thing with Iowa State. Uh, how the hell did you lose to Iowa State? You're Iowa. The year they went when Brad Banks should have won the Heisman, the one loss they had before they got beat by USC in the Orange Bowl was to Iowa State. That's what kept them out of the, the national championship game against Miami, was that game. And now Iowa State's made it a really evil level playing field, and some would argue they are better than Iowa and have every right to say so. That's the same thing that's going on with Manchester City versus Manchester United. The years throughout the history, Manchester United has been the superior team, and now Manchester City are passing them. And have passed. Well, not, they won't pass them. They'll have to win a shit ton more trophies to even get close to Manchester United. But in the present day, they are past Manchester United. Not historically. It's the same thing with Iowa and Iowa State. Right now, Iowa State is better than Iowa. Historically, Iowa trumps Iowa State 99% of the time. Same thing with Manchester United. It's just in the present day, they are currently better. And this is the best team Manchester United has had since Cristiano Ronaldo left pretty much. Like, they had some, they won the title in 2013, which is the last title they had. The team with Cristiano Ronaldo, it saw Carlos Tevez, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, a good Wes Brown, <laughs> Vidic, Ferdinand, Edward Vandersar, Patrice Evra, that team, Michael Carrick, can't forget about him, Park Sung, Nani, who missed a penalty in the MLS All-Star game last night, but we'll get to that in a little bit. This is the best team they've had since then. And now, when they're the closest they've been to Manchester City since 2013, which is the last time, again, Manchester United won the title, one of their greatest ever players is going to make Man City stronger and win them the Premier League and possibly win them the Champions League. Do you see how this kind of mixes with Cristiano's Manchester United legacy? Manchester United fans, if you... If just. If any sport, ever, if your best player or one of your best players, naturally gifted players, comes in, does all this amazing stuff, grows the team, wins championships, wins an MVP, and he leaves because money's better elsewhere, then you have a chance to go play with Real Madrid, the biggest club on planet Earth. Fine, we get that. But now you're going to Manchester City. All that thing, all the things he did at Manchester United are out the window now. If that goes down. Like, I will always picture... I've been of the influence or of the saying that the best Cristiano Ronaldo, not necessarily the best goal scorer, 
because when he got to Real Madrid, he became more of a natural goal scorer and became more centralized as a striker. At Manchester United, he was doing everything. Then he got, you know, lethal in front of net at Real Madrid. His goal scoring record in Real Madrid is ridiculous. Manchester United, I think he was the more complete player. Highlights of Manchester United are way more fun to watch for me, more from the nostalgic factor than anything. And I saw some today, his first and last goals for Manchester United were against Man City. And now he's going to join them, possibly. Now, I can't stress enough, this might not happen. It looks very, very likely to happen. For multiple ports, everything's agreed, but it hasn't been announced yet. So there's still every chance Manchester United can come in and sneak him in right before Man City signed him. They did that with Alexis Sanchez. The difference is, this is one of the greatest players ever. Not Alexis Sanchez. This is Cristiano Ronaldo. One of your greatest ever players. He has ties to the team. You cannot let him go to Manchester City. You can't. And we already said it was going to be Manchester City versus PSG. And there's a shitload of things going on at PSG right now. With Gillian Mbappe possibly leaving for Real Madrid with a $200 million bid coming in or something like that. Which would make him the most expensive player of all time. Not necessarily on one move, but in career moves. Two moves. 100 plus million dollar moves. He'd be the most expensive player of all time. Currently, it's Romelu Lukaku, and if you count out all his transfer move, transfer fees, he's the most expensive player of all time. If and when Mbappe moves to Real Madrid, then he'll be that. Ronaldo coming in for $35 million, or $30 million, whatever the hell it is, is a steal. I don't care how old he is. We can all agree the thing at Juventus was to what we were expecting and what we were told was going to happen was a failure. He didn't win jack shit at Juventus. Oh, you won the Scudetto for the eighth year in a row? Oh, wow. We, that's really big stuff. Didn't even make it to the Champions League final. Like, <laughs> oh, man. We saw Lyon make it to the cha- the semifinals of the Champions League. When Juventus just finished fifth in Serie A, and he's going to dip and go to Manchester City. Every single club he's been to has been the richest club at the time when he's gone there. Man City weren't the richest club at the time when he joined Manchester United. That was Man United. (laughs) Now it's Man City. It was just bottomless pockets full of cash. Coincidence. Oh, wow, we didn't know this was going to happen. Oh, a rich team that will easily win the league? No way. Manchester United, Real Madrid, Juventus, now possibly Man City. If you weren't already on the side of Messi being the GOAT, you'll soon be on that side now. A lot of people will change their minds. And some of you might be going like, oh, well, your move to Manchester City doesn't really matter in regards to how good of a player you were. Yes, but it affects your legacy and how people view you. He'll go from Manchester United legend to snake in the matter of seconds. No Manchester United fan out there will be on Team Cristiano Ronaldo if he goes to Manchester City. And there's this Manchester United page that I saw on Instagram which posted the quote, Cristiano, you better stay loyal. We've shown you love even after you left us and we wished you well on all the success you achieved. Don't repay us like this. Now, there could be every chance that George Mendez, who is notorious for doing this, 
is just trying to be an asshat in the whole situation, trying to drive up wage bills and all that stuff. So maybe it's just complete bollocks that this happens. But as of right now, it looks very, very likely to happen. We've brought up this person before, Fabrizio Romano. He's like the king when it comes to transfer news. When he broke this, I started getting a little nervous. So this is what he said today on Instagram. CR7 has decided to leave Juventus, even though he posted that like 10 paragraph long Instagram post talking about how he wasn't. Confirmed, Cristiano Ronaldo has definitely decided to leave, in all caps, Juventus, and he has asked the club to sell him immediately. Juventus are waiting for Manchester City official bid to arrive within the next hours to reach your agreement as soon as possible because the transfer window ends on Saturday. Or right, Saturday? Or is it Sunday? I can't remember exactly when it ends. It's ending fairly soon. It might end on Tuesday, the last day of the month. I don't remember. Cristiano Ronaldo only wants to leave Juventus and he won't be available for their next match. George Mendez is, cur- is working directly with Manchester City board to complete the agreement on personal terms slash contract for Ronaldo. Manchester City are also working on the outgoings to proceed with the official bid to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Juventus want 28 to 30 million euros. Raheem Sterling could leave Man City if the right bid arrives. Gabriel Jesus will stay at Man City as Pep Guardiola wants to keep him at the club this summer. It is is very likely to happen. It looks like it very well hap- could will happen. I saw a quote from Wayne Rooney today saying that he'd never join Manchester City or Liverpool. If you played for Manchester United, you could not join those teams. Now, Rooney is an extreme example because he played for both Everton and Manchester United, who both hate Liverpool and Manchester City, respectively. <laughs> so he would never do it. But for how much Cristiano talks about how much he loves and respects Manchester United, your legacy at Man United is done. No one will ever talk about you the same. No one. <laughs> Sol Campbell is not revered in the same light after he made the switch from Tottenham to Arsenal. That doesn't that that ship sailed. Tottenham don't consider him up in their legends anymore. He was their freaking captain and left for Arsenal in a free transfer. This isn't Germany where you can just go willy nilly to Bayern Munich and no one really gives a shit. Like half the players on Bayern Munich pretty much came for Borussia Dortmund. Robert Lewandowski, Dortmund, for free. This isn't like that. This is the most historic club in England, and you're going to their bitter rivals, their most hated rival. I mean, you could argue Liverpool or Manchester City, whichever one. Good Lord. It was already over between the Messi and Ronaldo thing for the GOAT. In my eyes, it's more over than what it was last week. This summer has been terrible to Cristiano Ronaldo's legacy. You're talking about Messi winning the Copa America. Ronaldo getting locked out in the first round of the knockout stage of the Euros. Now he's going to, he's every single week he's been linked with, oh, he's moving, he's moving, he's getting tired of Juventus. He's being a big drama queen about leaving Juventus. And then he talked about, oh, I'm not leaving. And then all of a sudden, a couple days later, oh, he's leaving. And not only is he leaving, it's for a team he pretty much said he'd never play for in Manchester City. And I I get times change. But this doesn't. Manchester United and Man City will always be rivals. If you played for one, you shouldn't play for the other. 
there was different times. Like Peter Schmeichel played for Man City after playing for Manchester United. That was different levels back then. Manchester United weren't trying to keep Man City from winning the Premier League back then. Manchester City were trying to stay up in the Premier League, let alone try to win it. They couldn't even, they could try to avoid relegation every single year. Now, Cristiano Ronaldo is going to make sure United do not win a Premier League or a Champions League. Now, it might be for one year, but that one year will do damage on him in regards to the views of Manchester United fans out there. Goodness gracious. And I'll probably go through today or Friday, whenever, like, when you're listening to the show, it's probably already gone through. That's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on in the world of soccer right now with Ronaldo and Bappe, all of this stuff. And then coincidentally, would you believe that Manchester City and PSG are in the same Champions League group? Oh my goodness, who could have ever predicted this? And now Ronaldo's going to go there. Now we get to watch Messi and Ronaldo in the same league. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. And a couple days ago, it was sounded like that he wasn't even, Man City didn't even want to pay the $30 million to get him in. And now it's like, oh, we're getting it done now. And Man City are making the supposed official bid tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. But on a lighter note, I talked about the MLS All-Star game for a little bit. MLS won on penalties. Three to one, much in highly anticipated youngster for the United States. Ricardo Pepe scored the game-winning penalty against Mexico just pretty much hours after he said he'd play for the United States. And then about half an hour or 45 minutes after, they was pretty much announced he was going to be in the World Cup qualifiers for the United States. And he beat Mexico All-Star, Mexico's All-Stars in Los Angeles. And Matt Turner... Yet again, this is an issue, okay? Not really. It's a good issue to have, I guess. The issues in goal. Matt Turner versus Zach Steffen. Now, I've talked about this a few times on the show ever since the Gold Cup. Zach Steffen is still the number one for the United States. The main reason is he hasn't done anything to lose the job. I get Matt Turner played well in the Gold Cup and played just very well in the MLS All-Star game. I get Ethan Horvath saved the penalty against Mexico. Other than getting hurt, what has Zach Steffen done to lose the starting job for the United States? What? I I can't think of anything because there really isn't. Greg Berhalter's trusted him with the captaincy in big games. He has pretty much been undroppable since Greg Berhalter's been the head coach. And now, since he got hurt, it's all of a sudden started to go, oh, well, he's not good enough anymore. Now, this could all change because... Zach Steffen's form could drop off. Zach Steffen is not playing at club level. So this could be somewhat of an issue. Ethan Horvath, or Matt Turner is. <laughs> Matt Turner just played in a game last night. It's, the fire is under lit, should be lit under Zach Steffen right now. So unsurprisingly, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, and Matt Turner are the three goalies going for the U.S. Quarter, the US World Cup qualifiers. Unsurprisingly. Those are the three best goalies we have. They'll be the goalies going to Qatar unless one of them gets hurt. That's literally the only option <laughs> in regards to who's going to go and get for the United States. David Ochoa tucked his tail between his legs and went to Mexico. Brad Guzan's not doing anything. Sean Johnson, won't. those two won't be anything other than third choices. No one is competing for the starting job right now other than Matt Turner. 
No one's even competing for the second string job. Heathen Horvath just got the number two, three spot because Burhalter likes him and he's got the most potential out of the guys that are called up to the United States regularly. There's a lot of old dudes like Johnson, Guzan, Hamid, Melia. These guys, all older goalkeepers. I would love to see Tim Melia go to the World Cup. I doubt he will. Even though he's more than deserving of it, he's one of the best goalkeepers in MLS, one of the most underrated goalies in MLS, and he still hasn't gotten a call-up. And that probably will never come because he's 35 years old. But yeah, those are the goalies. We'll see how many, how he, when I say he, Greg Berhalter does in regards to choosing a starting goalie. Will he rotate the pair? Because they play three games. So will it go, okay, Zach Steffen plays against El Salvador, Turner plays against Canada, and whoever played the best plays against Honduras, or he plays Ethan Horvath against Honduras. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to roll this thing out on current form. It's hard not to argue with Matt Turner. But again, what has Stefan done to lose it? You can't just go, oh, he's playing very well. Well, the other dude's got to lose the job. That can be viewed in a wrong light, I guess, as well. Like you look at Jake Fromm versus Justin Fields. Jake Fromm just led Georgia to a national championship game. Sure, Justin Fields is the number one recruit coming into high school, or number one B recruit coming into Georgia. But what did Fromm do to lose the starting job? He just led them to a freaking national championship. Like with Jalen Hurts and Tua, Jalen lost the job. That's what happened there. It wasn't just Tua playing really well. Jalen lost the job. Tua got the touchdown pass against Georgia in the national championship against Jake Fromm because they benched Jalen Hurts because he was playing so bad and Alabama was getting killed. And he came in and took the starting job. Fromm didn't give Justin Fields the opportunity to do that. So, here comes Justin Fields. Or here comes Jake Fromm and Justin Fields transfers. Hindsight's 20-20. At the time, Fromm didn't do anything to lose his job. Mac Jones, similar thing. Bryce Young is way more talented than Mac Jones, but Mac Jones didn't lose do anything to lose the job going into this past season and had one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a college quarterback. Got drafted 15th overall, came third in the Heisman Trophy race, and won a national championship. Until Zach Steffen plays bad, he is the number one goalie. I don't care how good Matt Turner is playing, Zach Steffen will be the number one until proven otherwise. And when I say proven otherwise, that means he's got to mess it up. And he's got a short leash. I'm not saying this is like a mile-long leash or something. He's got a really short leash. Like, like the length of your arm, pretty much. That's the distance. Like, Turner can almost touch Stefan. And we're to the point of where one game could put Turner above. Really, that's it. <laughs> it's really... Zach Steffen's going to have to play lights out. He's going to have to play his best he's ever played to keep Matt Turner out of the starting job because Matt Turner's been playing the best he's ever played right now. He went into the Gold Cup with one appearance and then left with the Golden Gloves and arguably was the best player in the the entire tournament. So, fire's lit under Matt Turner. Fire's definitely lit under Zach Steffen right now. In regards to defense, the rest of the squad, no real surprises. I mean... Kind of surprised Christian Pulisic was called up. I think it was more just a fact of, let's get his name on the sheet. Now, he is out with COVID right now, and there was something I think I saw in regards to Premier League teams or Chelsea not allowing players to travel, so I don't know if it's just a name on here or just to get fans excited. I don't know how this is going to work. But defensively, you got DeAndre Yedlin, who's got 64 caps, which is just ridiculous to me how many caps DeAndre Yedlin has because you forget how many games he played when he first was called up to the United States. Tim Ream, John Brooks, 
Walker Zimmerman, Anthony Robinson, Jorginho Dest, Miles Robinson, Mark McKenzie, James Sands, George Bellow. Not surprised with any of these whatsoever. I mean, I guess you could argue that Reggie Cannon or Dylan, or Dylan, what the hell is Brian? <laughs> Brian Reynolds isn't in the team. Maybe you're surprised about that. Most of the Gold Cup guys are getting breaks, and there's some that are obviously playing, like we talked about James Sands, uh, Miles Robinson, George Bellow. All these guys are in the team, but no Reggie Cannon's interesting. I do like the fact he went with two and two. Now, you could argue that Tim Ream's a left back, which I have made the argument numerous times. I think Greg Berhalter really likes himself some Tim Ream. He trusts him, brings a lot of experience in regards to his age. He's the oldest player that I think will see significant playing time for the United States during these World Cup qualifiers, and will get some playing time as we get closer to Qatar, and will be one of the guys, I think, that will be going on the plane to Qatar, just based off the fact Greg Berhalter likes him. I don't know if he's going to play that often, because, again, he's older. He's going to be 34 by the time the World Cup comes around. He's going to be 35 by the time the World Cup comes around. He's going to turn 34 in October. So by the time the 2022 World Cup comes around, he'll be 35 years old. He'll be there for morale. <laughs> That's really it. But sometimes you need players like that in a team. George Bell has been playing lights out since ever coming back to the MLS from the Gold Cup. He's been playing very, very well. The back line towards the end of the game in the All-Star game last night was James Sands, Miles Robinson, and George Bellow. And then you got Ethan Hor- or Ethan Matt Turner in goal. Can't remember who was that right back at the time, but Miles Robinson, we've talked about this before. He's the number two center back right now for the United States, right behind John Brooks. Chris Richards, Mark McKenzie are right behind him. Walker Zimmerman is right behind them as well. Aaron Long, if he can stay healthy, is right behind them. James Sands, I mean, if you're playing a back three, I like James Sands a lot. The back two, he gets found out a little bit too much for my liking. A little unnatural there. He's kind of like David Luiz. And that's a compliment because David Luiz, on the grand scheme of things, is a good def- good player. Almost a good defender. But he was the best when he was playing in the back three for Chelsea. We brought this up in one of the videos we made for the Gold Cup. That's kind of what James Sands is. There were numerous times throughout the, court, the, the knockout stage of the Gold Cup where James Sands was kind of getting found out. And Miles Robinson had to track back and save his ass <laughs> a couple times. But that's not saying anything bad. That makes Miles Robinson's case of being the number two center back very, very good. And remember I talked about this was last week or Monday, maybe, about not making the video because I want to see how the World Cup qualifiers go. Then we'll do the three teams for the United States, okay? So we did that. I have the teams, but I think it'd make more sense to see because there's certain players that I would like to see a little bit more because obviously recency bias with the Gold Cup is going to be big. After these three games, I think I can make a more comprehensive list into what I think the three best teams for the United States are. Midfield, not surprised. It's very narrow in regards to the midfield depth. Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams. Not surprised by any of those picks at all. I think Kellen Acosta proved he deserves to be on the United States team moving forward. Sebastian Legette, is one of Greg Berhalter's favorite players. Uh, then you got Christian Roldan, who was just the captain for the MLS All-Star team last night. Very hardworking player. And then, I mean, do we need to talk about Tyler Adams and Kellen Aco- and, uh, <laughs> Weston McKinney? Two of the top three players in the United States. Like, do we need to talk about them? I am intrigued, though. We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo moving. Weston McKinney's been talked about getting a move to, like, Tottenham. I've seen some other moves, like Bayern Munich, pop up recently. Hey, I'm all for it. Weston McKinney's a freaking beast. 
and Juventus, if they lose Ronaldo, I'm trying, <laughs> trying to figure out what they... I mean, nothing would really change. They just finished fifth in Serie A with Ronaldo and didn't make the Champions League final yet again, so what would, ha what would really change if they lost Ronaldo? The answer is nothing. <laughs> they won Champions League. They won the Scudetto like eight or nine times in a row. And then Ronaldo came. <laughs> and then they can't make it to the Champions League semifinal. Oh, man. But yeah, not surprised with the depth in midfield. Very good midfield, saying that. And then attackers, Christian Pulisic. Josh Sargent, who just scored two goals in a Norwich game for the Carabao Cup, I believe. Then you got Tim Weah, Giovanni Reina, Brendan Aronson, who's been playing awesome for Red Bull Salzburg. He just got them in the Champions League, actually. Jordan Siabichu, Conrad De La Fuente, who's been playing very good for Marseille since making his debut a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago. And then Ricardo Pepe, who, as we said, one of the most highly anticipated youngsters in the United States system that just chose to play for the United States and just scored the game-winning penalty in the MLS All-Star game. And has been freaking awesome this year for FC Dallas. Pepe, in uh, July 24th, 2021, Pepe became the youngest player in MLS history to score a hat trick. And on July 27th, three days later, he signed a five-year contract extension with FC Dallas. For those of you who are unaware, if you come from the FC Dallas youth system, you are very good. <laughs> that's, pre that's pretty much what we could say here. The three biggest players that I could think of that come to mind right now, Weston McKinney, Reggie Cannon, Brian Reynolds, and now Ricardo Pepe. I can't think... There's more. There's definitely more, but I just can't think of any off the top of my head. I think Walker Zimmerman's one of them as well. Yeah, well, I mean, well... He played at FC Dallas. He got drafted by FC Dallas. The first round, seventh overall. So do we count that as a... I mean, he technically... He wasn't in, like, the academy system, but... You know, it's whatever. <laughs> but they have... They, they have that agreement with Bayern Munich. I'm pretty sure Chris Richards came from there as well. There's another American over there, I think, as well, along with Chris Richards. So... FC Dallas just craps out really good young players. <laughs> it's like the La Masia for the MLS, which is Barcelona's youth system. Up until recently, Barcelona's producing a lot of very good young players, and now they're $1.2 billion in debt. Same with Real Madrid. So I don't know how the hell Real Madrid are going to sanction this deal, or La Liga are going to allow Real Madrid to buy Kylian Mbappe for $200 million, or however much he's trying to go for. Or not He's not, but how much PSG are trying to sell him for. I don't know what the hell is going on with that situation. I... On one hand, I understand it. There's two, there's two sides of the coin here with the Kylian Mbappe thing. On one hand, you are going to the biggest club on planet Earth. You're going to be the face of what is considered pretty much a rebrand at Real Madrid or a rebuild at Real Madrid. And it's, you're playing in a tougher league. But with PSG, which I guess is kind of also a negative, you're, you're going to win the league. Unless something crazy happens, you're going to win the Champions League. You're from Paris, and you get to play with Messi? Is this all because he had Cristiano Ronaldo posters growing up and he just can't sit, stand the fact that he's playing with Lionel Messi? Is that what this is all about? I don't know. The move to Real Madrid has been inevitable. Ever since he's broke out with Monaco, it's, he's been linked with a move to Real Madrid every freaking summer. And now Real Madrid are like, what? They're also an insane debt. I think they're in the billions as well. Now that they're in debt, they're like, you know what? We're going to buy Kylian Mbappe. We can't afford to pay off debt, but you know what? We're going to buy Kylian Mbappe. I <laughs> like, Jared Piquet just took like a 60% pay cut to get the fees to sign, to allow Memphis to buy Eric Garcia, Sergio Aguero to play in La Liga, let alone actually sign for the team. They didn't even, they couldn't even afford 
the fee to get the players registered for the Liga. And Real Madrid are like, you know what? $200 million for Mbappe? I think we got some of that laying around. If you're, I mean, if you're $1 billion in debt, what's $1.2 billion in debt going to do? Like, uh, that's the point. Like, it's like you're late already. Why does it matter how late you are? You're already late. That's the mindset I think Real Madrid are going for. Are they they're like the Yankees where we can just kind of buy our problems away? And right now the Yankees are kind of doing that because the Yankees have been pretty damn good in August right now. Oh, man. But the United States, back to them, no real surprises in this team. I guess the only real surprise is Ricardo Pepe being in the team. But yeah, Josh Sargent, Jordan Siabichu, they're going to be, this is going to be big for them. We saw a good cold cup from Jassy Zardes. We saw a good cold, up, cold cup from Matthew Hoppe. Daryl DK on current form, like at club level, is probably number two or three on the roster. I mean, well, probably. He's definitely number two or three. But these are going to be big for them. Sargent, as we talked about, is not really big in the goal-scoring mark. He's more of the hard-working player. He's kind of like a Carlos Tevez-esque player where we're not going to really focus a lot on the goals. We're going to focus on the work ethic and what he does linking up play and stuff like that. That's what he's kind of like. And it works well because he's played well for the United States. It just can be frustrating at times when his goals don't really come that often. But yeah, this team, it's not surprising. It's a good team. <laughs> it's a pretty good team. And if I'm building a starting lineup right now, it just kind of goes depending on what Greg Berhalter wants to do. I could definitely see him going with that back three again and playing the 5-2-3 like he did against Mexico because you got pretty much the same players you're doing that with again. James Sanchez is perfect for that middle center back spot. I mean, look it. You got Stefan in goal, DeAndre Yedlin at right back, right wing back, then a center back partnership with Miles Robinson, John Brooks, and James Sands with Sergio Des flying down the left, Acosta or McKinney and Adams in midfield, Pulisic, Sargent, Rain on in the forward lines. It's looking pretty good. Or if you want to play with the four three the four four three, four three three, Stefan, then you got Sergio Dest, Miles Robinson, Brooks, Robinson. Both Robinsons, <laughs> Anthony and Miles Robinson. Tyler Adams at holding, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic in midfield because we've talked about this before. A lot of Pulisic's runs for the United States are more centralized. So him playing on the left, he's kind of, he's just drifting in because he wants to be on the ball more. So why not just switch him to number eight, which is what he's done for the United States in the past, even though that's not his quote-unquote natural position. And then a forward line of Reyna, Sargent, and Brendan Aronson who has been one of the best players in recent form for the United States, not only at club level, but playing for the United States. He's played well for the United States recently, coming off the left. I think that's the best lineup the United States can roll out in general. I think, minus Sargent, I would put Jaiassi Zardes in there, but that's the best lineup. So there's my A-team, <laughs> pretty much. Stefan, Yedlin, or Stefan, Dest, Rob, Miles Robinson, Brooks, Anthony Robinson, Adams, McKinney, Pulisic, Reyna, Zardes, Aronson. I think that's the best lineup the United States has. Now, I could see arguments for playing Musa in midfield, playing Pulisic on the left, starting Timothy Weah, starting Sargent, DK, Siabichu, starting Hoppy somewhere, starting Kellen Acosta, maybe, playing a back three. Like, I get all the arguments. Starting Ricardo Pepe. Doing that as well. I could see the arguments for all of this stuff. But, I think the team that I think the, the United States is the best with is the first team I mentioned with Pulisic in midfield and Aaronson on the left. With Zardes through the middle. I think he has a very good combination of both DK and Sargent. He has a very good engine and goal-scoring touch that kind of suffers with both of them. They both have their weaknesses. I think Zardes is the best, most complete striker they have. 
Hoppy, I mean, he's technically a striker, but I think Burholder would like to play him on the wings more. Siabachu, he's just kind of the odd man out, isn't he? Good player. He scored a big goal for the United States in the against Honduras in the CONCACAF Nations League quarter or semifinal. It's from like the 89th minute? 87th minute? I can't remember exactly. But all I know is very exciting times. There's a lot of question marks on this because of the goalie-keeping situation mainly. And hopefully by this time, we know who the main captain is. He's been the rotating captain thing ever since he's been the manager. For a World Cup, will we actually know, will he have a full-time captain? Will it still be the rotating thing? Who's the leader in the captains? I mean, most people, I bet, would say Christian Pulisic. But that shouldn't be discounting McKinney and Adams. Or even John Brooks, who hasn't worn the captain's man often. Or even, I don't know if he has, but he's in the running for it. Steffen's worn it a lot. Aaron Long's worn it a lot. I'm sure Giovanni Reina's going to wear it at some point. Even though he's only 18. He'll wear that thing at some point. His dad was the freaking captain. And he's one of the vocal leaders on the United States national team. Sebastian Legette's worn it. Like Walker Zimmerman. We've had all these players wear the armband ever since he's come in, but I'd like to see a main guy be the captain for the United States moving forward. That's that's just what I want, but I'm, I mean, I guess I can live with the rotating captain armband thing. I, I guess I could be fine with it. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> and finally, this will be the last thing we talk about today. I promised this on Wednesday, and I want to talk about it now. Okay? I want to talk about it now. I'm just going to go through my camera roll real quick. Just to see if... Uh, oh, I guess we could talk about this before we get going into this. We have some starting quarterback announcements in the NFL. I kind of forgot about this. Tre- Trevor Lawrence. I mean, is it <laughs> pretty pretty unsurprising that he was announced the starter of the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, it's pretty inevitable. I knew, like we talked about before, he's going to get pushed by Gardner Minshew. But he was drafted number one overall. He's had the most hype coming into the league in forever. Since Andrew Luck, probably. Suck for Luck. Remember that? Tank for Trevor. That was the same thing. I mean, tank for two as well, but when he got hurt, it kind of died off a little bit. Like Burrow started week one last year. I like Gardner Minshew. I think he's the best out of, like, how do I want to word this? Out of the quarterbacks that are going to start week one that I have the most confident in, which is only Wilson and Lawrence, the Jets even need to announce Zach Wilson starting. He's pretty been un- He's pretty much been unchallenged. He's been the rest rookie in preseason. James Morgan's not taking the job. Josh Johnson's not taking the job. I think Mike White is there as well from Western Kentucky. They're not taking the job. So that leaves the guy who's drafted second overall, who's uber-talented, who I think, again, is going to lead rookies in passing yards this year because of the situation he is in right now on the offensive side. Defensive side, they're getting hurt. But Robert Sala is a very good defensive mind, and I think they'll be... I mean, they're not going to be good. I'm trying not to sound like I think the Jets will go... 10 and 7 or something like that or even 9 and 8 or 8 and 9. They're not going to be good. But they're not going to be atrocious like they were last year. Like <laughs> being 5 and 12 or something or 6 and 11 is not something you're extremely proud of, but you can live with it. But Trevor Lawrence, much like Zach Wilson, who even hasn't been announced yet, we can pretty much infer that this is going to happen. Trevor Lawrence is starting week 1. That's confirmed. And also, Teddy Bridgewater is starting week 1. For the Denver Broncos. And I'm not, like, terribly surprised by this. I mean, George Payton, when he wasn't getting Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, he pretty much handpicked Teddy Bridgewater because he worked with him in Minnesota. And I saw this on Twitter. This is Skip Bayless tweeting this, so I don't know how accurate this is going to be. 
But he said Teddy Bridgewater is the 11th quarterback who has started for the Broncos since Peyton Manning. What does that say about John Elway? He does not know how to scout QBs. If he didn't have Peyton Manning, John Elway, it, well, here's two things. If he didn't get Peyton Manning and if he wasn't John Elway, he would have been gone forever. <laughs> he would have been gone a long time ago. But the fact that he's John Elway and the fact he found Peyton Manning has saved his ass more often than not. That's literally the only thing keeping a job. His name, I mean, what he did in Denver, obviously. Won two Super Bowls with the Broncos. So that's, but he can't scout quarterbacks. That's one thing we have found out over the years. The only quarterback I know that he would have, he wanted, that he didn't get, that worked out very, very well, was Justin Herbert. He wanted Justin Herbert in 2019, but Herbert came back to college. So Broncos had to draft a quarterback. (laughs) They weren't. They needed one, so they went after Drew Locke, and now they get to watch the quarterback that they wanted ball out in their division twice a year, and they also wanted Josh Allen, from what I've heard, from what some reports, some sounded like they were talking about drafting Josh Allen, and they drafted Bradley Chubb, so that didn't work out for them as well. Josh Allen torched them when they played in Denver last year. Ah, yeah, but two quarterback announcements, pretty big, pretty big stuff, and I saw this as well. Drops this season, which is preseason, so it doesn't count. Jamar Chase, three. Panay Sewell, zero. Okay. I mean, you're trying to make the argument they should have drafted Panay Sewell over Jamar Chase and acted like Sewell's had a better preseason than Chase, which he hasn't. He's arguably been worse than Jamar Chase this preseason, who also hasn't been using having his number one quarterback and Joe Burrow throwing the ball. So I don't really know. I get the argument. Not really paying attention to it, though. <laughs> like, you made one. Yeah, good, good on you. I mean, I like the effort, but it also doesn't help they play two different positions, so Sewell doesn't have the opportunity to drop a ball. That's like saying, sacks allowed, chase zero, Sewell however many. Like, I can make that argument, too, if we're going to make the drops argument. Like, oh, you want to draft Sewell? He's allowed 10 sacks this preseason. Chase is allowed zero. Oh, who's really the smart, per- who's really the smart pick here? Like, we can go back and forth on dumbass takes like that all the time. I get the argument about taking Sewell. They improved their off the line going into the season. So it's not like, oh, this can't miss prospect, which is a dumbass phrase anyways. We've talked about that a thousand times. One of my least favorite terms in sports. Can't miss prospect. Everybody can miss because it all depends on the atmosphere you're in. And right now, the Lions are not in a good atmosphere. He's got two other good off the linemen to learn from and Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker, but... The Lions are going to be ass, and we know this. <laughs> that atmospheres can breed either good or bad players. Like, it it can happen. Can't miss prospects is a dumb term. And the only can't miss prospect we've had in the past 20 or so years has been Quentin Nelson, who was a first-team All-Pro his first year in the league and became the best guard in the NFL after week one of his rookie year. He's allowed three sacks and made first-team All-Pro three consecutive years. He's the only player since Barry Sanders to do that. Or, like, the only player along with Barry Sanders to do that. Like he's the only one that I can think of that was instantly a hit from the start. He had, like, 0% bust probability from the calculations people made. Like, right now, there's no winner between Chase and Sewell because they both kind of stunk it up in preseason. But if you're going to make the argument that Chase has dropped three passes and Sewell has dropped zero, Chase has also allowed zero sacks. So, I guess we can, 
I guess we can end this stupid debate now, can't we? Like, oh, you said he was going to prove the old line. Well, Chase hasn't allowed any sacks. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. But like I said on Wednesday, I promised that we were going to do a top 50 players for the 2022 NFL Draft. And here it is. So here are the players, before we get into this, that are in the running. So we got six quarterbacks, three running backs, eight wide receivers, two tight ends, six off to tackles, four interior linemen, three defensive linemen, 10 edge rushers, so all of them, seven linebackers, five corners, and three safeties are in the running. So that is a grand total of 56 players are in the conversation for me to be in this top 50. Now, obviously, six players didn't make it. That's sad. It's very sad. But here are the six quarterbacks. So I think you know this by now. If you listen to the show at least for like a day, you should know what my top six quarterbacks are. Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Keaton Slovis. Right? <laughs> it's pretty It's a pretty simple list, ain't it? Pretty simple top six list. I think it should be everybody's list. If you have JT Daniels in there, I'm sorry. It might turn out good come fall, but I, I get a lot of Josh Rosen vibes from JT Daniels. That's just me. That's just me. I could be completely wrong about that, but I'm not super high on JT Daniels. Everything I've heard, ever seen, has just been hype. I haven't seen them all put it together yet. His freshman year at USC was not very good. Keaton Slovis came in and destroyed his numbers in his freshman season. And JT Daniels' dad said he's not transferring. He's got USC tat on his body and then transfers a week later to Georgia. So we'll see. We'll see. Georgia has an opportunity to develop a quarterback, which is not something they've done really recently. <laughs> you look at the past... They had three quarterbacks that were drafted on their roster at the same time. The one they kept was the one that got drafted last, <laughs> and that was Jake Fromm. The other two were Justin Fields and Jacob Eason, who Justin Fields got drafted first round, Eason got drafted fourth round, Fromm fifth round. So this will be an opportunity for them to actually develop a quarterback. They've got some good ones on the roster. they got some good ones coming in too. So we'll see how they do with JT Daniels, and this is supposed to be a year where Georgia challenged for, an S- for not just an SEC, for a national championship. Defensively, offensively, it's the best team they've had in a very long time. So this is a team that they could definitely challenge. Let's see if they actually do it. Because people are kind of forgetting that, you know, Alabama's still Alabama. And still pretty damn good in their own right. So let's stop crowning Georgia national champions before... It's still still Alabama. They can lose everybody. And they have five stars to replace them. So, like, they're fine. Running backs, I mean, mean, again, it's pretty self-explanatory. Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kieran Williams. I mean, I mean that's I've said that the entire time as well. They've been my top three for freaking ever. It hasn't changed. It won't change unless something insane happens. Wide receivers, we got Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, John Mechie, Drake London, Romeo Dubes, Justin Ross, and George Pickens. Those are my eight wide receivers that I chose. Tight ends, there's two of them, Jalen Weidermeyer and Jaleel Billingsley, who is currently on the in the doghouse of Nick Saban, and if you want to go talk, listen to what Nick Saban had to say about that, just go search on YouTube, Twitter, or any form of social media, you should be able to find it, on what Jaleel Billingsley has to do to get back, quote-unquote, on the roster. Off to tackles, we got Evan Neal, Jackson Kirkland, Zion Nelson, Charles Cross, Thayer Munford, and Rashid Walker from Penn State. Interior linemen, we got Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa, Kenyon Green, Ike McConwoo, and Darian Kinyard, Kinnard from Kentucky. Moving on to defensive players. So in total, we got 29 offensive players 
and 27 defensive players. I don't know if I said that earlier or not. Defensive linemen, we got DeMarvin Leal, Jordan Davis from Georgia, and Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma. Edge rushers, I made a change. I made a change. I took out the Florida dude, Cox, LOL, and replaced Will McDonald. So, had a change of heart there. So, we got Kayvon Thibodeau, Drake Nelson, Nick Benito, Kingsley Engeber, Inagbre. Sorry, I, I still need to practice his name. I apologize for this. George Kalarftis, Aiden Hutchinson, Zach Harrison, Adam Anderson from Georgia, Will McDonald, and Myjay Sanders from Cincinnati. Linebackers, we got seven, Christian Harris, Nicobe Dean, Mike Jones, Ventrell Miller, Owen Popo, and Devin Lloyd from Utah. Corners, we got Derek Stingley, Kyer Elam, Andrew Booth, Ahmad Gardner, and Trent McDuffie. And then safeties, we got Kyle Hamilton, Jordan Battle, and Brandon Joseph from Alabama. So a grand total of 56 players are eligible for the Logan Blackman Show, the draft expert. Top 50 players for the upcoming draft. We are a week away for big-time college football, so it's very exciting stuff. So the top 50, I mean, top 10, I think I've been pretty clear on for the past however many weeks. I don't think I've changed this too often. Maybe the order in some capacity, but the top 10 reads Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, and Kyle Hamilton. So that's the top five. We have three defensive players and two quarterbacks. Derek Stingley and Kayvon Thibodeau, I could flip either way. I don't really care. I think Derek Stingley's the best cor- been the best corner in college football since his freshman year at LSU. Yes, he had a down year, a lot to do with injuries, but like Aaron Rodgers, his down years are some players' career years. Dude's an absolute beast. Kyle Hamilton's a do-everything safety. Thibodeau is one of the most athletically gifted players we've ever seen in college football. So, he'll be number one for right now, but Stingley could definitely pass him. And Rattler and Hal, because they're quarterbacks, have every opportunity to pass those guys because they will get drafted first. Regardless of where they're ranked, those two will be the first two players taken in the draft. I would be pretty surprised at this point if they weren't taken number one and two. Six, we got Evan Neal from Bama, then DeMarvin Leal, Malik Willis, Tyler Linderbaum, and then Kenyon Green rounding out the top ten. Linderbaum, just a beast. (laughs) That's pretty much the best way you can describe him. He's just an absolute wrecking ball. From the center position, former defensive tackle, moved to center, and has dominated ever since. Super powerful dude, best run blocker in college football. Dude's a beast. Kenyon Green, athletic freak, can play guard and tackle. I think when you come to like drafting times, we talked about this when we did the mock draft, of Kenyon Green being able to play both guard and tackle makes him very, very desirable for NFL scouts and coaches, because that means you can play him wherever and be perfectly fine. Center's are not usually, you know, Linderbaum could completely change the narrative on that, not usually the creme de la creme when it comes to top line or top linemen in the draft. It always goes tackles, guards, centers. That's generally the order when it comes to offensive linemen. Now, there's some good centers that get drafted really high. The last one I could think of that got drafted in the top 20 was Garrett Bradbury. Now, in that example, not all of them work out. Just because you were drafted in the top 20 does not mean you'll pan out in the NFL and Garrett Bradbury has not really done that to this point. He's been part of one of the worst offensive lines of the NFL ever since he's been <laughs> been in the league. And then you got Malik Willis. He can do everything. Dude's an absolute beast. My favorite quarterback in the draft. DeMarvin Leal can play both edge rusher and defensive lineman. And then Evan Neal is just an athletic freak playing tackle. <laughs> like, for how big he is, he should not be able to move as well as he does. And he has experience playing guard as well. So again, that's the desirable. Positional versatility is key when being one of the top players in the draft. 
Then in the top 15, you got Kyrie Elam from Florida, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, pretty much neck and neck. Drake Jackson from USC, and then Desmond Ritter at 15 from Cincinnati. Now, I really like Desmond Ritter. I've talked about him a lot. Compares a lot to Trey Lance in regards to size, athletic ability, arm talent, and inconsistent accuracy. Very similar in all aspects of that. If he pans out, he will be one of the better quarterbacks and will be taken higher in the draft than what we think he will right now. He has all the ability to go higher. Drake Jackson, uh, what was it? He either put on weight or lost weight. I can't remember, but him and the SC, the Pac-12 had really weird-ass years last year. So a lot of people kind of moved him down the list. There's a few players that moved down some people's lists, like Clarftis and Aiden Hutchinson as well, because of injury, just other things outside of what they actually did on the field. Injuries and Pac-12 just being absolute dickheads. The Big Ten also kind of being a dickhead from around time for numerous times throughout the season. Like, no non-conference games. So, Iowa, cancel your games with you and in-state games with you and I and Iowa State. I think both of them at home. And go play against Rutgers <laughs> in New Jersey. That makes sense. But that's not what we're talking about here. And then Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are just beast. Kyrie Elam. I mean, Tom McShay ranked him super high. I think he was like his sixth best player, which I can understand. Dude's an absolute beast, but that's really high. <laughs> that's really freaking high. And I have the other two corners coming up in the next couple picks. So, like, the top 16 through 20 goes Andrew Booth, Ahmad Gardner, Jackson Kirf- Kirkland, George Kalarftis, and Christian Harris from Alabama. So, Booth and Gardner, you can pretty much give and take. I think Gardner, you know what you're getting. Booth is more of a, not project, but he's got more potential, I would say. Because he came in to college football, the number two corner behind the best corner in college football the past two seasons, Derek Stingley, and he plays for Clemson. If you play for Clemson, and we don't really know what you are, well, guesses are, if we know you're athletic and you were good in high school, chances are you're going to be very good in college too. That's usually how it works. Five-star goes to Clemson, turns out, wow, he's a pretty good football player. Sometimes it doesn't work out, like, like we talk about with the draft in general. Sometimes going to a college doesn't work out. Situations vary. But Gardner, his nickname's Sauce. On Cincinnati's official website, his name is Sauce. Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Dude's a freaking beast. You could flip those two back and forth if you really want to. I don't care. Jackson Kirkland, just a really good pass blocker. He's not that athletic comparatively to the other tackles in the draft, especially Evan Neal and Zion Nelson. But he's a great pass blocker. Has some experience playing guard, but did not look too comfortable there. Tackles where he plays. Didn't allow a sack last year, but again, not in a lot of action, but I really like Jackson Kirkland. George Kalarftis, positional versatility. Can play both edge rusher and D-lineman. He's coming off a knee, a leg injury. Or, co- no. Yeah. He had some, I can't, wait, yeah. <laughs> he had COVID. So, he came off a freshman year where he was absolutely dominant. He's a freaking unit. So, if you want to play him at D-line or edge rusher, he'll make plays for you. He had one of the best freshman seasons we've seen at Purdue, and then injuries and COVID ruined a really promising second year. I expect him to be back and fully battling this upcoming season. Then number 20, we got Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama. Just an Alabama linebacker. <laughs> you know what you're getting from Alabama linebackers. Like You know exactly what you're getting from Alabama linebackers. Then you got number 21 through 25, Traylon Burks, Jordan Battle, and I did some adjusting here. I don't know if I'm a huge fan of it, but I'll, I adjusted it. 
Uh, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, I moved him up to 23. Zion Nelson and then Carson Strong at number 25. So Traylon Burks, I put him at 21 because I think he's the third best receiver in this draft. This dude is a freaking monster. I talked to one of my friends, Ryan, who I'm in the Fantasy Football League with, and he's talking about Traylon Burks being the best player they've had since Darren McFadden, which is big praise for Traylon Burks. He is built like freaking Calvin Johnson and isn't just, he's just bigger and stronger and faster than everybody on a football field. And he's going to get all the attention because he's like the only good player Arkansas has. <laughs> so he's going to get a lot of attention and a lot of reps. So he could definitely go higher in this list than 21. Jordan Battle, I think most people remember him, for those of you who don't watch Alabama football that often, remember him for getting ejected in the national championship game. But the big thing I remember from that had nothing to do with him. It was all Jalen Waddle being over there and just consoling him. Jalen Waddle was basically just waddling on the football field because of his hurt ankle. And he was around Jordan Battle. I think that definitely helped Waddle's draft stock. But Battle, very hardworking safety. It's just a fact. The problem is, this is safeties in general. Unless you're like Kyle Hamilton or Jamal Adams or, I don't know, Earl Thomas, you're not really going to get drafted in the first round at safety. It's the same thing with running back. If you get drafted in the first round, you're going to get drafted in the 20s, sometimes 30s. Two years ago, we had one running back drafted in the first round. He's picked 32. Last year, we had two, and they were drafted 24th and 25th. This year, we might not have any running backs drafted in the first round because none of them are the same athletes or same dynamic, don't provide the same dynamic appeal as Najee Harris and Travis Etienne if we're going off last year's draft. Hopefully, Etienne comes back late in the season so he can help me out in fantasy. <laughs> but yeah. And then we got Nick Benito, edge rush from Oklahoma. He's a little bit smaller comparatively, but if we're talking about three, four outside linebackers, he's the best one. I mean, most of these guys in this draft class in regards to the edge rushers aren't three, four outside linebackers. There are a lot of four, three DNs that can play three, four outside linebacker, which is more of a stand-up edge rusher. For those of you who are unaware, hand-in-the-dirt guys are three, four, three defensive guys. Sometimes you'll see DNs playing a three, four like Will McDonald does at times. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Yeah, okay, there's a surprise. I guess I kind of spoiled it, but he's in the top 50. He's a beast. We'll get to him in a little bit. But Nick Benito, great player. Oklahoma's best defensive player. I had him in my first, like, unofficial official mock draft. Probably should have had him in this last one, but I really like him. I really like Nick Benito. And you change, you can change things throughout your mock drafts and your top 50 players and stuff like that. And then Zion Nelson at 24, athletic, really athletic off to lineman from from. Miami and Carson Strong strong arm accurate just not very mobile he's not like a freaking statue but he's not insanely mobile and the fact that he plays in a small conference doesn't really matter anymore if you look at the grand scheme of the NFL and what where we're going smaller if you play they'll find you if you can play they'll find you number 26 Jalen Weidermeyer from Texas A&M then we got Charles Cross from Mississippi State Brandon Joseph from Northwestern John Mechie from Alabama and the Keaton Slovis from USC rounds out the top 30 Weidermeyer is just a complete tight end. He does really everything. He's a really good red zone threat. Really athletic. Can line up outside. Can line up on the line of scrimmage. Can line up at H-back if needed. Dude can do everything from the tight end spot. Most complete tight end in the draft. Billingsley is the more receiving guy. And you've got some like good blockers that are also capable receivers. But he's the best in regards to combining the both at a very high level. And then you got Charles Cross. Uh, he's going to get a lot of reps. Let's just say that. He'll get a lot of pass-blocking reps. He got a shit ton of them last year, was shaky at times, but got a lot of reps. That's what you'll get 
with Mike Leach as head coach. Andre Dillard was that. Got drafted in the first round. Got a shit ton of pass blocking reps. Got drafted 21st, I think, by the Eagles. And then you got Charles Cross, who will probably be the same thing this year. I'm not saying he'll necessarily get drafted by the Eagles, but I think with the amount of pass blocking snaps he'll get, if he improves the numbers of pressures allowed, because he did allow a decent amount. I know he had a lot of pass blocking snaps, but I think it was like 45 pressures allowed, which is not ideal. Then Brandon Joseph, free safety. Jo- I guess I should have said this earlier. Battle is of strong safety. Say Joseph is more of a stay-back, free-safety type guy, but can make plays all over the field. Mechie's a hard-working Alabama wide receiver. I mean, stereotypical Alabama wide receiver. Had good spurts last year. He's the number two guy behind Devontae Smith when Waddle went out injured. Now he's the guy. We'll see how he does. The dude never gives up on plays. There's numerous plays you can watch of him tracking back on interceptions. There's one against Florida, I think, in the SEC championship game, where he just lays out the defender after Jones throws an interception. And Alabama recovers the ball in plus territory. He actually gained some yards on it. So this dude works hard, and I really, really like him. And then Slovis at 30. I really like Slovis. My dad doesn't really like Slovis that much, but I really like him. I, I know having him at 30 does not really tell you, does not say, oh, Logan really likes Keaton Slovis. Obviously, he's ranked him at 30. But no, I, I like him. He just needs a little more consistency. I think if you're comparing him to Strong, Ritter, Malik Willis, Hal and Rattler. There's some things those guys do that Slovis can't. I don't think there's things Slovis can do that the other guys can't, if that makes any sense. Now, the Pac-12, like we talked about with Drake Jackson, was really weird last year. So, when it comes to Slovis, I expect the consistency to come back, and Drake London, I'm expecting to have a big year as well. 31, Kingsley Angabear from South Carolina. I, I still need to pronounce his name. I apologize again. Nicobe Dean from Georgia. Trent McDuffie, the corner from Washington at 33. Thayer Munford from Ohio State at 34. And Aiden Hutchinson at 35 from Michigan. Now, he could go a lot higher. I, I probably should switch him and Benito just because that's how I've had it in my mock draft for the past few weeks. I don't know. Maybe I got a little scared. <laughs> I like I like both of them. They're, this edge rushing class, we're going to have a crap ton of them drafted in the first round. At least how we're sitting here right now, there's going to be a lot of them drafted in the first round. If you just look at this list, eight of no, six of them are in the top 35. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And Hutchinson, like we talked about, I think it was Bruce Feld- Feldman, said he was the second biggest athletic freak in college football. He's coming off an injury as well. A little more consistency from his end, and he'll be up a lot higher. Thayer Munford. Consistent presence in Ohio State's off the line. They're going to be freaking good this year. C.J. Stroud was just named the starting quarterback pretty unsurprisingly. He's going to go off. He's got the two best receivers in the class, best receiving core in the Big Ten. We've seen it a freaking while. And then good defensive players. We'll talk about one of them in a little bit. Ohio State's going to be freaking good. I mean, it's obvious. They're going to kill everybody in the Big Ten. Trent McDuffie, Washington, a little more not well-known corner because, again, Washington didn't play a lot last year. And he's a little bit down the list, but I really like, or not, I shouldn't say really, he's ranked 33rd, but I like Trent McDuffie. I don't rank him as highly as Ahmad Gardner, who's just a silky dude. Booth, who's got really high ceiling. Kair Elam just has great length and can make plays all over the place, and Stingley just clear of everybody. But he's in the top 33, so that's all that matters. N'Kobe Dean, athletic player at linebacker. I see a lot of people ranking him above Christian Harris. I think Harris is just a little more consistent than N'Kobe Dean, but if we're talking about just pure athleticism, Dean's more athletic than Christian Harris. 
So it's kind of a preference thing, I guess. I could definitely see Nicobe Dean going higher than Christian Harris, but right now, probably put Harris higher than Nicobe Dean, and then Kingsley, freak, pretty much. That's pretty much the best way to describe him. Same thing with Aiden Hutchinson. Consistency, had a good year last year. Hopefully he can keep the same thing up this year. His statistics went a lot way up. Or not way up, but they went up from his freshman to sophomore year. Dude's really good. Could go a lot higher on this list. That's a key thing with everybody on this list. They could go a lot higher than this. This list is definitely subject to change. I'm just a quote-unquote expert, so I don't really know what the hell I'm talking about, remember? 36 through 40, we got Drake London from USC, Zach Harrison, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and Jordan Davis, the D-lineman from Georgia. Drake London, long receiver. He'll be hoping to get Keen Slovis back on the right track this season. Really good wide receiver. Zach Harrison's got all the size and athletic attributes to be a really good defensive end in the in the NFL and in college football. See, he puts it all together this year. Hall and Spiller. I mean, Hall currently is the best running back in college football. I mean, you look at the numbers last year, it's hard to argue with it. But again, the carries thing is going to be big with Brees Hall going into the season. Not so much with Isaiah Spiller, who's going to be right on his toes, who's a little bit more of... I don't know. He's not like a shifty, shifty player. But I'd say he's a little more fleet-footed than Brees Hall. But time will tell on that. That list is subject to change again. Jordan Davis is just a freaking monster. He's 6'6", like 340 pounds. The dude's clogging up run lanes left, right, and center. You want to be a run-stopping team, you draft Jordan Davis. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. Dude's an absolute monster in the middle of the field. He's athletic as well, too. He may not get after the pass that often, but he blows up. Tackler, like he not blows up, he draws in. So the exact opposite of blowing up, he draws in blockers. So that frees up lanes for other pass rushers in this team, like Adam Anderson, who we're going to talk about in a little bit from Georgia. And he's in this next realm of players, forty-one through forty-five. Romeo Dubes, I put Romero Dubes. I'm going to have to change that so I can have some sort of credibility. Romeo Dubes, or is it Romero Dubes? Am I even spelling that wrong? No, it's Romeo Dubes. I don't. I was getting kind of scared. I was like, man, I haven't been saying that wrong the entire time. Romeo Dubes, Rashid Walker, Ikem Okonwu, Mike Jones from LSU, and then Adam Anderson. Romeo Dubes is the dude, the Dubes, that plays with Carson Strong. If Carson Strong goes off, Dubes is going to go off. Carson Strong, remember we said that he wanted to get 85% completion percentage? Dubes will be your big reason why he gets 85% completion percentage. Rasheed Walker from Penn State. Good off to lineman. Just don't rank him as high as the other ones, pretty much. I guess you could say that about all these guys. But I came a Conwu. This dude's just a freaking mauler. He'll beat the crap out of you from the guard position at NC State. That's all I could say about this dude. He can, I guess he can play both guard and tackle. But he's supposed to line up at guard. Not supposed to, but he's expected to line up at guard at the next level, especially going into the draft. Mike Jones from LSU, pretty confident. I should have checked this up because I think this is right. Transferred from Clemson to LSU, one of the lone bright spots of LSU's defense last year, which LSU was a complete and total mess last year in regards to injuries and just not living up to the team that was the greatest college football team in the 21st century. Every single player that was on that roster that went to the draft got drafted or signed. (laughs) That is an insane team right there. And if you expected them to repeat, that was ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous if you thought LSU was going to repeat. And Mike Jones will be a big reason if LSU succeeds this year. Quarterback, that'll be an issue. Adam Anderson, a lot of expectations on him. Athletic, I saw PFF had an article where he was basically like the uh, the one to watch 
pretty much. So not in the top five of their top five edge rushers, but he was one to watch because just because of how athletic he is. We'll see how good he actually does this year. And then the last few players on this list, 46 through 40 through 50, we have Kyron Williams, Perion Winfrey, Will McDonald, Myjay Sanders, and then Justin Ross or George Pickens. I could care less which one you put at number 50. One of the wide receivers is going to be there. But, yeah, Kyron Williams, best pass catching back in this draft. I could see him going to number one while the draft, when the draft approaches. This dude is a great playmaker out of the backfield. He had a great season last year. Now, he had little to no production his first year. So, we're going to need to see him repeat this and also hold on to the ball a little bit better. He has a little bit of a ball, not ball, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this. He has a little bit of inconsistencies with his ball carrying or necessarily protecting the ball. That makes sense. But out of the backfield, dude's an absolute beast. Perry on Winfrey, a little bit smaller than uh, your boy Jordan Davis, but pretty much everybody apart from Evan Neal in this list is smaller than them, but still a good interior D-line threat for Oklahoma. Then we got Will McDonald, just an athletic freak. I'm pretty sure I should have checked this up, but good thing I got ESPN's thing open for me. He was, hold on, third in the nation in sacks last year. I was going to say first. Good thing I didn't. He was a half a sack back. Okay? So we were close. We were close. But just athletic freak. I was, when we were doing the fancy football draft, this is a full, I know we're, we're in all different states right now, but we have a lot of Iowa State fans in there. So I posed the question, who is the best Iowa State player on the roster? I gave between Mike Rose, Brees Hall, and Will McDonald. They said Will McDonald, just because of how athletic he is coming off the edge. There's not a lot of players like him in college football. And there is, but he's, he's, you got to support, you know, fan support, I guess. But dude's really good. I'm not going to hold anything against him. And then Myjay Sanders, one of the rare outside linebacker edge rushers in this class, like we talked about with Nick Benito at Cincinnati. He's another one of those outside linebackers. Then Justin Ross and George Pickens, both coming off of injuries, but expectations still high for them. If JT Daniels and DJ Uagalele go off this year, like we said with Carson Strong, the receiver, their number one guy, Romeo Dubes, Justin Ross, George Pickens, will be at front and center for that. <laughs> They're very good wide receivers. They're just coming off some big injuries. Justin Ross coming off a neck injury. So we'll see how that comes in going into this season. But yeah, that's my top 50 players going into the 2022 season or 2021-22 season for the 2022 NFL Draft. So here's a quick recap of that. Top 10, Reese Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal, DeMarvin Leal, Malik Willis, Tyler Linderbaum, and Kenyon Green. 11 through 20, Reese Kyer Elam, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake Jackson, Desmond Ritter, Andrew Booth, Ahmad Gardner, Jackson Kirkland, George Clarftis, and Christian Harris. 21 through 30, Reese Traylon Burks, Jordan Battle, Nick Benito, Zion Nelson, Carson Strong, Jalen Weidermeyer, Charles Cross, Brandon Joseph, John Mechie, and Keaton Slovis. 31 through 40, reads Kingsley. I need to I need to pronounce his name better. I'm not even going to try and butcher his last name. Engar. Engaber. Engaber. Enogber. I'm sorry. Nicobe uh, Dean, Trent McDuffie, Thayer Munford, Aiden Hutchinson, Drake London, Zach Harrison, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and Jordan Davis. And then 41 through 50, Romeo Dubes, Rashid Walker, Ikem Okwanwu, Mike Jones, Adam Anderson, Kyron Williams, Perion Winfrey, Will McDonald, Myjay Sanders, and Justin Ross slash George Pickens. Now, if I were to change anything, 
I guess I could move Aiden Hutchinson up a little bit. I guess I can move Kyron. I would love to move Kyron Williams up a little bit. I think he's closer to Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller than what a lot of people give him credit for. I think Todd McShay was one of the first people I saw put him that high. I think he had him as a number one running back, which I'm not surprised. I just think we need to see one more year out of Kyron Williams. But if we're talking about versatility out of the backfield, Kyron Williams is your guy going into this draft. And in total, you had six quarterbacks, three running backs, seven wideouts. I mean, I mean seven slash eight. I mean, slash George Justin Ross slash George Pickens. One tight end, six tackles, three interior linemen, three defensive linemen, 10 edge rushers, three linebackers, five corners, and three safeties. So that's 24 defensive players and 26 offensive players. So yeah, that is my top 50 players for the upcoming NFL draft, which doesn't take place until April 2022. So we are really nowhere heckin' close to the NFL draft, but we made a list regardless. And I sure hope you enjoyed the list going into the season. I hope it's as accurate as it can be. If it's not, I truly apologize. I can only apologize for that. And I'll change it throughout the year. I've said this numerous times. I've been wrong before. I'm not afraid to get wrong again. And this list is subject to change. Because remember, who said Joe Burrow was going to be the first quarterback taken in 2020 when the 2020 season was about to start? Not a lot of people. Or 2019 season was about to start. Nobody. No one said he was going to win the Heisman. It was that hit against UCF that has like jolted everything to normal. <laughs> he was one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen in college football. So this list is definitely subject to change, but that's how I'm seeing it right now. I might change it a little bit before I release the show. Who knows? It might change the players I mentioned a little bit ago, but I'm cool with the 50 players I mentioned. The order can change, but I truly believe those are the best 50 players going into the draft. Now, the six players I didn't mention, they're still really good players. They were in the conversation, just not in the top 50, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you go and read the article for yourself so you can also just read it out for yourself as well. I'll post the link on the website or on social media as well. So again, make sure you go and follow me on all forms of social media. Go and follow the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go and listen to the broadcast tonight. Johnson vs. Cedar Falls and 1650 The Fan. They'll have a live stream on the website. So you can click on that and listen to your boy doing his first ever play-by-play for an actual sport. I've done play-by-play like as a joke, like for random things with my friends, but never actually <laughs> for a school I used to go to against a team that I where I lived for the past two and a half years. So this is a big deal for me. And I hope you all enjoy it. If you do listen to it, if you don't, I don't I I guess I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't hurt my feelings if you don't listen to it. But I would personally enjoy it if you did. Again, hope you enjoyed the show. Go and check out all the articles we have on theloganblackmanshow.com. And we will be back to you, hopefully, on Monday. I will see you all later. Peace.